All right, happy Tuesday. Welcome back to the Locked On Syracuse podcast. Tim Leonard and Tyler Aki here with you as we are every single weekday, your only place to get your daily Syracuse fix, catch up on all the latest Syracuse happenings right here. If you missed our convo about Deuce Chestnut, the four-star commit, you can go back and check that out wherever you get your podcasts from yesterday. And you can find us on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse, dropping our Twitter game Tuesday today, so be on the lookout for that. And feel free to comment and reply as we have one of those every single week. But Ty, going to talk some basketball today. It was football heavy yesterday. We will get to Andrew Cuomo's comments on the football season, which was actually pretty optimistic in the chances I'm of I'm starting it to climb, Tim. I'm starting yes, to climb closer and closer. All right, I'm not. I love to well, hear it. Uh, I'll, I'll save. I'll save my position right. for later in the show. Yeah. Well, we'll dive into that at the end, and we talked a whole bunch about the college football season last Thursday too. But we want to catch you up on Cuomo's recent comments. Before we do that, though, let's talk some basketball about this upcoming season. I figured one cool way to kind of break down this roster in the depth chart would just be by going player by player here. And sort of given a rough estimate as to how many points per game they would score. And maybe if you want to throw in a couple other stats, anything that gets us talking about each individual player. So I think we should clarify off the top here. I went ahead and did my numbers. I haven't seen your numbers yet, and we'll kind of go back and forth off of them. But my numbers are based on Alan Griffin getting that waiver, which we're still crossing our fingers. and. So if anyone's playing along with us, I think we'll just operate under the assumption that Griffin will be a main rotation guy in this upcoming season. So just to clarify that off the top. But let's start with the point guard, who will be Joe Girard, barring something drastic that is going to be a complete shock to everyone. 12.4 points per game last year. Pretty good freshman season. Now he goes into his sophomore year. Has put on some weight recently, it seems like. What was the number that you had roughly for him? So, Joe Girard, not only am I going to bump his total way up from that 12.4, but I'm going to go as far to say he is going to lead this Orange team in scoring next season. I think he's going to have the ball in his hand a lot, and that certainly helps. And I think he's just going to be a much better, more experienced player. Obviously, he's got the abbreviated offseason to battle with, but... I'm going to actually put Joe Girard at 17.5 points per game. I wow. think he can get to that number because, and you know what, I might even be short shooting him a little bit as well, but let's keep in fact in mind a couple of facts here. First of all, this offense was predicated on a lot of three-point shots from a season ago. You look at the top three guys on this team, and it's Elijah Hughes, he was averaging seven a game, Buddy Beheim eight, and Joe Girard a tick under seven. So what that says to me is you've got seven three-point shots that could be open. Now, obviously, some of these other guys are going to eat into that in a little bit. We'll talk about Alan Griffin, who I think is going to be one of those major guys. But I think there's going to be a lot more threes out there. I would expect him to be making at least another three and a half in terms of the the average. So he averaged 2.2 last year. I would expect that number to be closer to three and a half by the end of next season. So I'm going to go 17 and a half for him. And again, the free throws are huge for him. He's going to get to the line a lot more too. Yeah, and he's so good at the free throw line. You know, efficiency-wise, outside of the free throw shooting last year, really wasn't all that great. 34% no. from the floor. It was actually bad. Like, let, yeah, let's just be right. brutally honest. <laughs> I agree. It, it was bad. And yeah. the three-point shooting numbers 
weren't great either, but you saw the potential in him to get that. And I think he took a lot of bad shots last year. I don't think he's going to have to settle for that as much. And there's still going to be three guys on the floor that you're going to have to defend offensively. It's not like, oh, Elijah Hughes moved, so more defensive eyes and effort gets shifted towards Joe Girard. No, I think that distribution defensively that they're going to face is going to be about the same as well. Yeah, it's kind of outrageous looking back on it how long his leash was as a freshman at Syracuse and playing under Jim Beheim compared to maybe some of the other guys. And honestly, I think that contributed to why we saw that mass exodus of guards transferring between Goodheim, Washington, and Carey, of course. Because, like, you know, they're sitting there. Carey was supposed to be the starter. He has a couple turnovers in the first game and didn't play great in the exhibitions. And boom, by six minutes into Colgate, he's lost his job. Isn't seeing the floor really at all. Now, partially because of injury, you forget that sometimes too. And obviously that contributed to him being shut down. But, I mean, Joe Girard was turning the ball over. He was pretty bad at the top of the zone defensively. He was doing all those freshman things that drive Jim Beheim up a wall. But I think Beheim knew deep down that they just really needed his scoring, and they're going to need it again even more as a sophomore now. Like he's and going he to didn't have, have to a great a end to the season either. I mean, you look through his last four games: nine, six, thirteen, three. All of it on not great shooting. I'm looking doing doing some quick math. His here, assists but it looks like... went up at the end, though. Yeah, so but he yeah, was distributing a lot more. I mean, yeah, the assist numbers: three, two, four, eight. So you like to see that, and those eight assists coming in a in that. ACC tournament game against UNC so he showed that he could do a lot more than just score the basketball so yeah I do think though that he's going to be one of those guys he's going to take a huge leap and really could be the most improved player in the ACC now he wasn't bad obviously this past season but he could be one of those guys who goes from I mean you, you saw Buddy Bayheim. he went from averaging what like five-ish points to averaging a season or seven. Or, yeah. yeah, it wasn't great, but he his average jumped about 10 points. So yeah. that that's what – I don't think Gerard's going to be able to jump 10 points, but I think he's going to be able to jump 10 points from if he had averaged six or seven points. Yeah, I think he leads the team in scoring as well. I had it right around 17 points per game. We're probably in the minority there, and I – bet if we were polling just general ACC fans and outsiders that aren't tied to the Syracuse program, everyone is going to write in the preseason previews that Buddy Beheim will be the go-to guy because he averaged 15 points per game last right. year. Gerard averaged 12. Now, But I think the way they're going to phrase it, too, just to, to get a little inside look of things, is they're going to phrase it, Buddy Beheim will be the bell cow for this team. But watch out for Joe Girard. He had a very strong freshman season yeah. as well and is going to bring that back with a little more talent and skill next season. I think that's going to be what the tidbits are in the preseason. Right. Yeah, as for Buddy, I had it at 16 points per game. So I think they are going to be the two top dogs, almost like Buddy and Hughes were at times mm-hmm. last year. It ended up being Hughes averaged about four more points per game than Buddy by the end of the season. But there were times where... It was like them trading blows as to who led the team in scoring game by game. I I worry a little bit with Buddy that he has kind of reached his peak. And I say that hesitantly because I obviously, A, hope yeah, it's I'm not gonna the case. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you there. I, I don't yeah. think he's reached his peak just because, remember, th- this is a guy who went from being 
someone who essentially got benched at the beginning of his college career and had yeah. a lot of DNP DDs, did not play dad's decision, all right? That that's that speaks higher volumes to me than DNP CDs, coach's decision. So when I see that and he took that step at the end of his freshman season and then he takes this step at the end of this season, I think what's going to happen with him is that, first of all, he's got mo- better gym access than most of these guys do in the offseason, at least during that quarantine period. So I think that's one thing to note. And then on top of that, too, I think he, he can get 17 points per game in this offense, but I think he's going to do it on fewer shots. Like last season, he was shooting almost as much as Elijah Hughes was. I mean, he was shooting 13.5 field goals per game. Well, without eight Hughes, of which... won't he have to shoot even more, maybe? But I, I do think a couple of things. First of all, I think we're going to see a lot of players struggle offensively because of the fact that this is going to be a, a very strange season, regardless of how many games get played. I think and the the strange offseason is certainly going to impact that as well. So I think that could hurt some of these guys, but I think he's going to do it on fewer shots. And I think we might just see slower possessions as well this season because not a lot of these teams are going to run and gun it on you all the time. And I think we're going to see some longer defensive possessions as well because I think defense is going to be ahead of offense for a majority of this season. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't totally agree with that because, I mean, they're already back practicing to an extent right now, barring them shutting down practice. I mean, look at what the NBA is doing. There's never been more offense, and they just came back from that hiatus. And maybe you would have thought, oh, these guys would be rusty. Well, you know, like someone like Buddy Beheim has a hoop, and I think these guys are going to find a way to but practice. But I think that's, and- that's the difference between college and pros. The pros, all of those guys, like for them, I'm, I'm not saying it, the college guys are going to – struggle and and like they're going to forget how to shoot a basketball but like for NBA guys they know how to turn it on and they've also got the fact that they've got the deepest pockets in the world too so if they wanted to make something happen during quarantine they could do it yeah that doesn't mean everyone did but right I'm with you on that yeah I I would say to kind of finish my thought on why maybe he's reached his peak the reason why I'm hesitant to say is we know Buddy works harder than anyone else. I mean, he's never Yeah, I don't been... think he's reached his peak. I think he's going to have a much more efficient season, just not a maybe the numbers don't spike as much. Well, I just worry because in the games where Elijah Hughes wasn't out there, he did not play as well. Like Miami, he plays all 45 NC minutes State. because Hughes is hurt. Yeah, I mean, Miami and NC State, I looked up the numbers. He had 12 points against Miami, 10 against NC State, but that's, again, playing every single potential minute of the game, and Miami went to overtime. And he was just 4 for 18 from 3 in those two games. So that concerns me. I think Gerard has to, if this team wants to be better than advertised, better than expected, I think Gerard has to be the number one guy. I just think... Buddy really thrived last year and was in a great spot to succeed when Hughes was drawing all that attention and he could get his shots. When he played against tougher competition, like Virginia, teams like that, he kind of struggled. I know he hit the big shot against Virginia, but remember, he couldn't make anything. And when he was the main guy and Hughes wasn't out there, teams could key in on him more. He did do a ton to improve his game, but I just worry that you know, like last year's situation was a really good situation for him. And now Hughes is gone. 
and I don't think we're going to see the numbers spike as much or anywhere close to what they did between his first two years. Yeah, I could see that. It, again, it's, it's tough to gauge a lot of these guys, but with Buddy, I, I don't think he's peaked necessarily because I just think Maybe it's going to be— Maybe I should be... say he's statistically peaked is what I'm saying. Yeah, I like, think he'll okay, get that, better. that's a better way to—because, again, I'm not predicting some huge spike. I think it'll be 16 or 17 points, but— yeah. I don't I I, I'm not seeing a huge spike out of him all right let's take a quick break and then we'll dive into guessing the points per game next year for the rest of the starters and some of the guys on the bench as well let's just assume Alan Griffin we can go to him next he's in this lineup I, this is the toughest one probably to guess I said about like 10 to 12 points per game for him we know he needs to improve his ball handling that's kind of the book on him but he can shoot, he can rebound, I think he'll be good on the defensive end, so I think Beheim will keep him out there because he really likes him from what we've read and heard about him. So last year, nine points per game in 18 minutes with Illinois, and we both know that if Alan Griffin is on this roster, he is playing way more than 18 minutes. So again, I think the other thing that you have to think about though here is the fact that there's going to be, even though he's going to be playing more minutes, there's the the per 36 looks great on Alan Griffin, but I don't think the per 36 on his shot attempts is necessarily going to balloon to the magnitude that he's no. getting. Because yeah. in 18 minutes, he was shooting four threes. All right. He's not good. I don't think he's going to be shooting eight threes a game with this Syracuse team. Now, Six? I could see six. I think six is a very fair number for Alan Griffin. I mean, Syracuse a season ago had three guys shoot at least six threes a game. So I could see six guys or six three-pointers a game for Alan Griffin. How many he makes, that's kind of up in the air. Is he going to have trouble adjusting to some of the dome sight lines? All that stuff. I mean, there's all these external factors that come into play with Alan Griffin. But, no, I'm with you. I think 11 or 12 points is a safe assumption for him. Okay, and then Marek, or Marek, I guess, is how Beheim's calling him mostly. And then Barama will obviously kind of run out the front court. We'll throw Quincy in there, too, as kind of okay. either a starter or the sixth man. I think there's going to be six guys that are scoring a bulk of the points when you include Griffin. Of Marek, Barama, and Quincy, who do you think scores the most next season? Marek probably scores the most and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's very active and I think this could be the year where you see that jumper start to take form he might be sick and tired of everyone saying when are we going to see Marek's jumper actually come and round out and I think this could be the offseason for it remember he was in the United States so he's not like Jesse Edwards where he didn't have a lot of time to come in and train he didn't have to to stay away from the team for so long no he, he's been in the United States this entire time I think we could see Marek start to get that jumper into form and I also here's this part too he's gonna play the most minutes out of those guys as well I mean last yeah. year he averaged 33 minutes a game which was actually more than Gerard played last year now if Gerard was the start of the whole season Gerard is probably getting more minutes than him but I think that with Quince or with uh, Marek, he's going to play more than all of those guys. His role, I think, is a lot more solidified than a lot of those guys. So that's why I think he's going to score the most points out of him. I mean, he scored 10 points a game last year, and I think yeah. he very well could score 10, 11, 12 again this year. 
And that was after a slow start to the season, too. I, I would agree with you, but I'm very high on Quincy next year. So Quincy was 6.9 points per game. Really nice average in his freshman year. And he he was injured last year. Like, I think we can come to that conclusion now based on him going in under the knife over the offseason. By all accounts, that's going fine, and he'll be ready to go. And we thought he was going to be some three-point shooter when he was coming to Syracuse, or at least have that as a threat. Well, it turns out he goes three for 24 from three. He did not attempt a three-point shot until the UNC game. So he attempted one in the UNC game, which was obviously the final game of the year. He went 0 for 1 from 3. The 10 games preceding that, he did not attempt a shot. He didn't make a 3. The last attempted or last made 3 he had was January 4th against Notre Dame. So that's all the way back to the start of ACC play. And Beheim has said kind of jokingly like I'm going to let him shoot next year. I think there was an understanding that like if he shot a 3 last year, he was going right to the bench. If he has you know, more of a leash behind the three-point arc. I think we can see him get some confidence there because we know it's there. He has a great shot in warm-ups and practice. By all accounts, it looks good when it comes off his fingertips. He's decent at the free-throw line. So, you know, there's so much room for him to add that element to his game. And if he's fully healthy this year, I think he makes tons of strides because he's a player that has so much potential, probably more potential than even some of the guys in the starting lineup that we talked about already. Can we agree that Barama is going to be last of those three? Because, yeah. And here's why, all right? Sure, he's going to start the season as a starter, okay? But I think he also has the most competition for playing time and the most heated battle to get in the game than any of the other two guys. And even though Quincy might not start a game the entire season, but I think we know that he's going to play a decent amount of minutes. And Barama... Again, we saw this with Daywan Coleman a couple years ago where he was a starting center on a Final Four team and then just (laughs) didn't really play his senior year because there was someone who was younger, better, and just brought more offense to a team that really predicated itself on offense. So we could see that. Now, if Sidibe plays how he did at the end of the season, then I think this conversation shifts a little bit. But I think with John Bowl coming in Frank Anselm seems like he's he could be a guy who who competes for minutes early on as well there could be a lot of competition and the fouls worry me with Sadiba there's no way to cut into your scoring average than taking away from your playing time because of something you're doing that isn't necessarily blown defensive assignments and stuff like that the fouling stuff is a real real problem with him and I think it's going to keep him out of a lot of games yeah no, I mean, he averaged six points per game last year. I would say that's a fair guess for him next season. We're just, I'm we've seen you. too much from Barama to ever think that he's going to be the type of player that you toss it down to the low block and he's got a post move and he can create his own shot. I mean, he's a senior now. He's been with this team for too long. and I, I haven't seen any signs of it. Maybe a little sliver of hope at the end of last year, but... I'm not ready just after that short burst to go all in on him being a double-digit scorer. I think it'd be tremendous for them, but I, I'm with you. I think he's he's the lowest-scoring starter again next season, probably. But, all right, you want to talk some football and get into talk some ball. comments? Yes. 
we'll get into uh, what your percentage is at now because I'm above 50%. We talked about that last week on the season happening. We'll figure out where Ty's at after some positive comments from Andrew Cuomo. That's next. All right, back to the million-dollar question right now that we have been wrestling with all summer long. It is, will there be a college football season? When will it start? Will it happen all the way through How many games? Yeah, so many extra questions that come from that. Will there be a college football playoff? Will there be a bowl? Can Syracuse win enough to make a bowl? It goes on and on. Well, the latest kind of development in this, obviously this coming after the ACC schedule was released, and we talked at length on that on Thursday's podcast from last week. So if you missed any of that discussion, feel free to go back and check that out. But Andrew Cuomo had some positive things to say. Now, he's already come out and said there will not be fans at sporting events in New York, so no Syracuse football fans to speak of this year, at least. And, you know, he was asked a little bit about the SU season and the ACC football schedule, and basically what he said is they should be able to do it safely. And he kind of gets into how they might not have to abide by the 14-day quarantine required for people coming back to New York after going away from New York. And, you know, I think this is positive because obviously he's a pretty big decision maker in this, but he's also been someone that has kind of told it like it is this entire process. And I've kind of respected that. And, you know, he would have said like, yeah, I'm worried about this if I'm worried about this. So I think this is good news. So here was my initial reaction to seeing this is that, first of all, Andrew Cuomo is him saying this does hold some weight. OK, so that shifted me. It shifted me from 30 percent to like 45. I'm not ready to go over 50. Wow. Yet, okay? OK, but at the end of the day, I had to subtract some points. And here's why. Oh. Because. At the end of the day, the keys can be taken out of his hand. I mean, Mark Emmert and the NCAA can shut this thing down if they want to. Now, I know there's no college football czar, but if the NCAA says we're not having college sports this year, then guess what? Andrew, it doesn't matter what Andrew Cuomo says. He can't force Syracuse to play football. Sure. Mark Emmert, he can, he can take those keys out of his hands in a heartbeat. So I know there's a lot of big, important meetings this week with the NCAA, especially surrounding fall sports as we continue to play this giant game of red light, green light. But that's why I'm not ready to fully commit. And even when I pen through this article here, there's so many little bubbles that you can pop with this. Because first of all, well, this isn't really uh, anything that Cuomo can control, but when testing is such a big thing for your your sport to work, what happens when there's false positives? Because we've seen that become a pretty yeah. pertinent thing in MLB. I mean, for all we know, and I don't think this has been confirmed necessarily, but it's largely believed that Juan Soto had a false positive test. Right. That it's first week in golf baseball. Too, right. Yeah. Already. So those false positives, if say you get one and I guess if it's a false positive, it's probably going to impact one person. You're going to you're not going to see like 10 false positives pop up. If, if you see 10 positive tests, the, the virus is being infiltrated within the team. But if it's one guy, there's reason to believe that is a false positive. And what happens if it's Tommy DeVito? 
How do you feel about that if you're a Syracuse fan? Because if you take the quarterback out of a game, that's big. So maybe it can the season can work. I'm starting to think it can. But there's also the whole factor of these kids on campus. And even if you do move to online only, well, guess what? Because mom and dad paid rent for a lot of these school housing assignments, all right? That does the kids probably aren't coming home. I know a lot of kids that are going back to school right now at some universities that have said we're going online for the first at least five weeks, maybe the whole semester. But guess what? We've already signed a lease on our apartment, so the kid's gonna go to school. And yeah, when you hear that, right. that kind of college football has a chance to work in a bubble. But they only have a chance to work in a bubble if there are no students on campus. And while classes may not take place on campus, that doesn't mean there won't be students on campus. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to have a college living situation in a bubble, a college atmosphere, a college campus. But I think you could get close if there are absolutely zero students on campus, and that's just not going to happen in the fall. Yeah, I I also just, it's not going to happen, and if you're so scared about putting students back on campus, how can you justify having sports, which as much as it is essential to the economic structure of a lot of these schools, it's also sports. It's a luxury at the end of the day, and I love sports. Yeah, I love sports as much as the next guy, but there's bigger things, and you know, you see and I'm blanking on what the school was, but did you see uh, a player's parent came out today with like a Facebook post on kind of did not. their son? I'd have to go back and look up the school. Maybe it's something we could talk about later on in the week, but I think it was it was pretty eye-opening, basically a mom's perspective about what a student athlete, a football player who tested positive, I think it was Indiana, and I hope I'm right on that, and if I am wrong, please forgive me, but I'm pretty sure it was Indiana, a player at Indiana tested positive, and he's been really, really struggling with COVID, and he's a perfectly healthy football player. I think it was an offensive lineman, and he's been in and out of, you know, emergency care units and stuff like that, and it seems like he's going to make it, and he's getting some extra treatment now, but that just shows you, like, when a mom comes out and says, this is my son experiencing that, that has to get the NCAA's attention a little bit. And, you know, it's an eye-opening perspective. But obviously they're going to do everything in their power to get this season started because of the financial incentives around it. I do think it's good news that Cuomo, you know, basically said they're not going to be able to do this while quarantining, and that's fine. They just have to have the tests is, I think, what it came down to. And kind of taking some of these quotes from a Syracuse.com article, so shout out to that. But, you know, he said, well, then you're going to have to test, and you have to have the test available, and they have to be turned around in a workable period of time. And if they can do that and do it safely, great, and they should be able to do it safely. So the testing, again, is something we've talked about all summer long. That's going to be a big deal is how much do they develop the testing and get it ready for the early September start. And also, in terms of another person who can take the the foot or the football season out of the hands of Cuomo, too. I mean, he basically says as well that this is something that is not necessarily a, a state issue. It's it's more on the local levels as well. So if yeah. Onondaga County says no sports, well, 
the, and the county can essentially shut this down too. Now, I do think they'll operate more leaning towards the the feelings and thoughts of the state, but if things get rampant in certain areas, you could totally see see them shutting stuff like that down, especially if there's people coming in from a state that's on these high risk lists and you look at a number of Syracuse's opponents I mean North Carolina's on that list South Carolina's on that list Kentucky Louisville's supposed to come to the dome I believe Georgia Tech's supposed to come to the dome so that that all of that stuff can can play a huge factor in all of that right so what's your official number you said you got up to 45 I got up to 45 and then I docked 10 percent so I'm going 35 is the official number right now I'm going to go 51% in the spirit of optimism. That's my official number right now. And the college football season's starting. Now, I don't know what happens after that, but we'll keep monitoring it here at the Locked On Syracuse podcast. We have you every single weekday catching you up on all the latest Syracuse news. We'll be back tomorrow for our Wednesday edition of the show. Feel free to follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. And we'll talk to you guys tomorrow.